You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, praise the Lord. It's great to have a chance to open the scriptures with you again this morning. And I'm going to be opening my Bible to Romans chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you and invite you to open it to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, which is our reading for today. It's great to be able to continue uh, our study of the book of Romans. And um, I uh, just wanted to uh, thank the Lord again for speaking to us as he does in the early part of our service. I want to encourage you to be open to words from the Lord. Uh, early on in our service today, the Lord spoke to us clearly and asked us whether Jesus was enough for us, not just for our own lives, but for the, the troubling situations in the world. And he probed us a little bit by his spirit and asked us whether we believed. We had been singing the verse from Corinthians where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. And do we really believe that? And the Lord wants to know what's in our hearts about those kinds of issues. So thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your many-membered body. And I encourage you uh, to continue to be open to the Lord and, and listen to uh, what he is saying in the early part of the service. And maybe he wants to say something to you and through you also. Last week, we weren't here in the sanctuary. We took a trip. Uh, by the magic of some excellent anointed preaching to a courtroom. And uh, as we were considering the first three chapters of Romans together, uh, a beautiful and clear picture was painted for us of what it is to like to be in a courtroom because mankind is on trial because of a whole, God is holy and mankind is sinful. And our brother Carl sketched out for us the judge and the jury, and the defendant, and the prosecuting attorney, and the charges that were read before mankind. So we took a trip to a courtroom uh, last Sunday, and that was a tremendous blessing to, to view the opening chapters of Romans through that light. And um, the prosecuting attorney, the Apostle Paul, paints the picture very, very clearly, that all mankind is guilty before the Lord. and. Um, his, his, the only hope that's held out for us, whether we're Jews or Gentiles or atheists or God deniers and pretend there even is no God, the only hope that is hold, held out for mankind is the atonement of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel of salvation, which is in Christ alone. And uh, we powerfully heard that uh, last week. And as you know, uh, one of the most commonly ver quoted verses from the early chapters of Romans is Romans 1.16 where the apostle declares, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And another verse that, that uh, Carl drew our attention to just to underline that is Romans chapter 3, verse 22, which says that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. There is no distinction. So... Uh, what a blessing to be reminded of that and to know the hope that is in Christ and in him alone. So I'm going to try in my own humble way to, uh, to build on the excellent foundation that 
Carl laid for us last week uh, in the in the book of Romans, and uh, we're going to be reading. Our reading for today is in, in the tenth chapter, Romans chapter ten. I'd like to ask you a question. Did you ever lose something that was very precious to you? And it was gone for a long time, and no matter how hard you searched, you couldn't find it? It's a horrible feeling. A number of years ago, I lost my wedding ring. And uh, I went to bed at night and took it off, and when I woke up in the morning, it had vanished. Uh, in seemingly into thin air, and I searched for hours and, I, and even days, and I couldn't find it. And it was very distressing. Uh, and then finally, one day, I think it was a couple of months later, I found out what happened to my wedding band, and it was, it was gobbled up by a ferocious dust bunny that lives underneath the radiator in my bedroom. So I strangled the bunny and grabbed back my, my prized wedding ring, and I was glad, really delighted to have it back. In the Gospel of Romans, and especially in the 10th chapter of Romans, uh, Paul brings forth a treasure far more valuable than a circle of gold. He brings forth a treasure, which is the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ. A gospel, a message that had been hidden and was found in the last place that some people would expect it to find, to be found, and that is in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Paul had an amazing love in, in his heart for his Jewish kinsmen and a desire to see them be saved. And in, in, in Romans chapter 9, which we, we read yesterday, he says that he has unceasing grief and sorrow in his heart because they have not yet accepted Christ. And he says that he would wish that he, this is the beginning of Romans chapter 9, I, I wish that I myself would be accursed if they could be saved. It's an amazing thing to love a group of people enough to say, I would face willingly eternity separated from Christ if they could come to him. What a love, what a, what a passion for their salvation. Did you ever have a, a, a real yearning in your heart for someone else or maybe a group of people to be saved? When I was in Cameroon, I, I met a beautiful brother there. His name was Jude, Jude Tanu. And Jude lived in a city in Cameroon that was a Muslim city. And uh, he desired for, to lead many Muslims to Christ. And every morning, just before dawn, uh, there was a tremendously loud noise uh, near Jude's house, and what, what, what it was was a, a long, loud, recorded chant prayer that was broadcast uh, a tremendous volume from, from a minaret uh, outside of a mosque near where Jude lived. And so he woke up every morning, whether he wanted to or not, and he used that, that uh, call to prayer to pray in a different way, and that was to pray for the salvation of his Muslim uh, brothers and sisters and, and neighbors. And um, he studied the Koran for years uh, in order to preach Christ from the Koran to the Muslims. I'm very impressed by my brother Jude. Closer to home here in Philadelphia, our brother Dave has encouraged us repeatedly to know the Old Testament scriptures. And, and he's challenged us and said, if you had to preach Jesus Christ to an unbeliever strictly from the Old Testament passages, could you do it and how? Would you go about doing that? And, and this is an object lesson in, in Romans chapter 10 about how to do that. We have a wonderful opportunity again this summer, starting on June 4th, which is just a few weeks from now, to, to worship the Lord outside and to do some outreach to 
the neighbors who are in this area and to try to share the gospel and the love of Christ with them to reach folks where they are. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to do, reach folks where they were. And his intense love for his uh, Hebrew kinsmen caused him to really search in depth the scriptures. It wasn't a new thing for him. He had, great, had been raised in the scriptures and studied them in depth under Gamaliel and was an expert in the law. And yet, after he came to Christ, he went back again and searched the scriptures again and found there the power of the word of Christ, the power, the power of the message of salvation. And that's why he proclaims he's not ashamed of it because it's the power for everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Greek, also to the Greek or the Gentile. I want to focus on the second half with you of, of the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Um, in the first half of Romans chapter 10, Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ through the books of Le Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The, essentially what he's saying in the first half of Romans 10, and, and we've read it today, and if you haven't read it yet, you'd have an opportunity to read it, um, is that Israel missed it. They missed the salvation of God. He says that they, had, they set up a false salvation uh, based on ignorance and based on self-righteousness rather than on faith in the Messiah that God had sent to them. So he says in verses 3 and 4 of Romans 10, um, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness, not just for Gentiles, not just for Jews, but for Muslims and Hindus and atheists and agnostics and um, secular humanists and Buddhists. Jesus is the end of righteousness for every one of those groups of people and for everyone that we have the opportunity to talk to. The gospel is the ultimate inclusive system. One of the uh, parts of the credo of secular humanism today, and you probably have heard this term repeatedly as, as I have in the media, is um, uh, in inclusiveness. Uh, how, how do they put it? Um, it's to tolerance, uh, inclusivity. Uh, we, have to, we have to include everyone. Um, and uh, the mayor of our city and, and many other politicians have said it's all about um, being inclusive and, and not leaving anybody out. And often what's meant uh, in secular uh, circles by inclusivity, by including everyone, is, is, be, is accepting homosexuality and being tolerant of homosexuality. But true inclusivity, um, true uh, open-mindedness and open-heartedness goes way beyond accepting homosexuality. It means having enough love in our hearts to speak the truth to everyone who needs to hear it and to, and to share the salvation which is through faith in Christ alone, to speak the truth in love. In the second half of, of Romans chapter 10, Paul continues to preach the gospel through the Old Testament scriptures. He, he does it through the books of Joel, Psalms, Deuteronomy, and especially Isaiah. During the Lenten season, which passed uh, fairly recently, we were encouraged to, to think about and identify and pray for one person that we knew that was outside of Christ that we wanted to see to come to faith and salvation 
in Christ. And I want to read uh, together with you the second half of, of Romans chapter 10 now. And I'd like, if you will, to try as we read these verses to hold a question in the back of your mind. And this is it. This is it. How would I present Christ to convince someone who is outside of Christ by using the passages that Paul uses in uh, the Romans chapter 10? I'll just take a moment to put a drop in my eye, if you'll excuse me. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 11. Romans 10, 11, are you with me? For the scripture says, whoever believes in him in Christ will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, of good news, of good tidings. However, they did not, not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, they, they, they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words, to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses said, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, and by a nation without knowledge, without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold, and he says, I was found, this is the Lord speaking, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But for Israel, as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Amazing words. The message of salvation through faith in Christ is explicitly or implicitly found on every page of this book that we read, Old Testament and New Testament. It's on every page. If you had to pick just one scripture, just one book from the Old Covenant to preach Christ from, who would, which one would you pick? If it was up to me, I'd pick Isaiah. I would pick the book of Isaiah. My mom, who went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, used to say, it's all in Isaiah. She said that a couple of times, it's all in Isaiah. And I think she was right, it's all in Isaiah. In this, these 11 verses that we've read, the second half of Romans chapter 10, Paul quotes from four separate passages from the book of Isaiah. And I'd like to take a few minutes and turn to each one of the four in turn with you. So I hope you're prepared to do a little bit of page turning or electronic flipping with me in your Bible because we want to look at, at each of the four passages from Isaiah that Paul cites here. I think this is important because the sum total of the message of these four passages taken together, the wisdom that's contained in these passages, um, 
really is the essence of the message of salvation. It's really the word about Christ. It's really the heart of the apostles' ministry, those who were sent forth. Contained in these passages, I believe, is what you and I need to know to lead that one person for whom we've been praying. Maybe it's not even someone we've met yet, but to lead that one person to faith in Christ. He starts uh, in, in, verse 11, in verse 11 of Romans 10 by citing the first passage that we're going to turn to in Isaiah. And it says, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. This is a citation from Isaiah 28, verse 16. So would you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Give you a minute to flip there. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Laying in Zion, a costly cornerstone. This is God's great saving act. This is what he, what he did to save Israel. This is his great saving act for all mankind. And so he declares, whoever believes in him will not be disturbed, will not be disappointed. I think the tense of the verb of what God is doing here in Isaiah 28, 16 is significant. Grammarians will tell you that this is the present progressive tense. I am laying in Zion a stone. The present progressive tense is an ad, it connotes an action which begins at a particular point in time, but doesn't stop there, but continues on, keeps going. God is laying in Zion, a precious cornerstone. That stone was laid when a baby was laid in a manger in Bethlehem. That stone was laid on a hill in the outskirts of Jerusalem called Golgotha. When Peter and John heard a report that Christ was raised from the dead and they ran to the empty tomb and looked in, it says they saw and they believed that stone was laid, was raised, was laid again. And that stone was laid again when the Lord Jesus ascended and took his, right, his, his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, brothers and sisters, every time that Jesus Christ is preached, every time that he is believed in, that stone is laid again, hallelujah. Whoever believes in him will not be disturbed. So Paul quotes this passage actually twice in quick succession. One is the one we read in Romans 10. Also at the end of Romans 9, if you want to flip back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, he quotes this, the same passage. And he says, it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Of offense. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. The adjective there some may be translated disturbed, may be translated disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed? Was there a time in your life when you really, really trusted in someone and you thought they wouldn't let you down, but they did, and they failed you and left you in the lurch? It's a bad feeling. Has anyone else ever trusted in you and you failed them and let them down? and disappointed them. 
there is one person that all mankind can put their trust in, and only one person, and not be disappointed, and that is God's precious, costly cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise to us and to everyone who hears this message is if you put your faith in him, you will not be disappointed. The way Paul quotes, quotes the passage at the end of chapter 9 is, is significant. If, you're in, if you could look at Romans 9, 33, he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The Lord Jesus Christ, a costly cornerstone, is a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. And every single man, woman, girl, boy, ever born or to be born, will come to this cornerstone and have one of two reactions. They will either stumble over him or they will believe in him. This is the precious cornerstone that God has laid. And now that the stone has been laid, the stone needs to be proclaimed. The news about the stone needs to be published and broadcast. And so in Romans 10, 15, Romans 10, 15, the apostle says, um, how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How beautiful are the feet. This is a citation uh, from, from Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to turn to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, please flip with me to, to that section of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52. This is uh, a fairly long passage in Isaiah, one of the most beautiful portions of scripture. Something that you may have read before, but uh, just, a, just an incredibly powerful and exciting section of God's word. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Are you with me? Isaiah chapter 52, the seventh verse. How lovely, the prophet says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, so that the, all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Hallelujah. This is what the Lord has done that Paul uh, cites in Romans 10 from Isaiah chapter 52. There are seven, um, excuse me, there are five uh, sections, uh, five, five elements of the announcement of the gospel. But he starts out by saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 6, Paul had said that we are to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead and the members of our bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. Here, uh, he, he, he identifies one particular member of our body that we should present to God as instruments of righteousness, and it's these things, our feet. 
Do you have beautiful feet? Why don't you take off your shoes and socks now and show us, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. Show us whether you have beautiful feet or not. The Lord, the Lord has called us uh, to, to have beautiful feet. What, what, what is it with the feet? It is with the feet that we go. It was with the feet that we get up and we walk. Cross mountains if necessary and have beautiful feet being on the surface of the mountains. This is the Great Commission. Go, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus said to us. I think it's significant that uh, in, in Isaiah 52, the Lord does not say, how beautiful in the pews are the rear ends of those who bring good news. Do you notice that the scripture doesn't say that? You can't go and bring good news if you're sitting in a pew. You need to use your feet. You need to get up and use your feet and, uh, and to go and to bring good news. So the Lord says our feet are beautiful when we do that. And there, there's, there are five, uh, in verse 7, Isaiah 52, verse 7, there are five parts of the message. And I want to, to look at the, each of them quickly. The first is that it's good news. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There's a lot of bad news in the world today, right? Uh, you don't even have to look far. You could just uh, turn on the radio for a second or flip through your, whatever your electronic news source is or open the newspaper, if any of you know what a newspaper is anymore. Uh, we still have one delivered. Um, and every t almost everything you look at is bad news. Is there any good news? Yes, the gospel is good news. The second part of it is that it's an announcement of peace. You see that in verse 7, those who announce peace. Peace is more than just the cessation of hostilities and warfare. We're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, but it's more than just the cessation of fighting. Peace is the deep shalom of God, the, the, the peace of soul, the peace of relationship that comes with being reconciled to God and being reconciled to neighbor. That is the peace that's announced. The third thing that's announced is happiness. Good news of happiness. Happiness means more than just getting what I want. You know, I'm happy when my desires are met, but that's the really shallow, ephemeral, temporal kind of happiness. But real happiness is a, is a fulfillment that comes from responding to the gospel. And it's the message of salvation. Good news of happiness, they announce salvation. This is what the apostles did as they went out uh, through all the world, and uh, Judea and the Roman Empire, and they announced the message of salvation. And, and Peter and John were arrested because they had healed a layman outside the temple. And they were standing before the Sanhedrin, being accused. And, uh, and Peter said this to the Sanhedrin, if we're on trial for benefit done to a sick man, let it be known to you and all the leaders of Israel that it's in the name of Jesus Christ that this man stands before you in good health. And he said there's salvation in no other name because there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. This is the, the, the announcement of salvation that began with the apostles and continues or should be continuing to this day. The fifth element of, this, of the announcement of those who have beautiful feet in Isaiah 52, 7, is they, at the end of verse 7, it says, they say to Zion, your God reigns. Did you know that God reigns? Satan doesn't reign. Disease doesn't reign. We wicked dictators don't reign. My own fallen human nature doesn't reign. Ultimately, God reigns. 
The announcement of the gospel is the announcement that God is in charge. He is in control. He reigns. And it begins here and continues all the way through human history until the voice of the seventh angel in Revelation chapter 11. And after the seventh trumpet sounds, he announces and he says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. That's uh, Rome, uh, Revelation eleven fifteen. This is the announcement of the, the reign of Christ. Hallelujah. Romans ten sixteen. Hope you don't mind flipping back and forth, but uh, we're, we're in Romans 10, and in verse 16, Paul refers to the third passage in Isaiah. And he says, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? This is Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our report? I wanted to make mention of a, of a, of a very significant verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. You can turn there if you want to take a moment, but in Hebrews 4.2, the writer to the Hebrews says that the good news, we, had the, we all had the good news preached to us, but it, it did not profit them, referring to the Jewish people, uh, because it was not united with faith in the hearts of those who heard. Hebrews 4.2, the good news is preached and heard, but it's not mixed in the heart with faith. He said it doesn't profit. It doesn't profit, and that's uh, what's happening here. That's what Isaiah is talking about. There's a powerful synergy that incurs that has the power to transform people's lives and transform the world when the message of the gospel joins together with faith in the hearts of those who accept it. Makes me think of Khartoum. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Khartoum. It's a, it's a city in Sudan. But an amazing thing happens in Khartoum. Uh, something that doesn't have anything to do with anything humankind ever did. But the mighty Nile River has two sources. Uh, one is the Blue Nile, which begins in Ethiopia, high in the mountains of Ethiopia. The second source of the Nile is in the mountains of Tanzania. That's the White Nile. So the White Nile and the Blue Nile flow separately, but both to the, toward the northwest until they meet at Khartoum. And when these two rivers join together, then you have the Nile, the mighty Nile, the longest river on our planet that flows over 4,000 miles. That's far longer than the distance from uh, New York to Los Angeles. It, 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 it's the mighty Nile flows because of its meeting of the junction of these two rivers in Khartoum. And the spiritual Khartoum for us is when the word of God is mixed with faith. It joins with faith in the hearts of those who believe. And that's where the power and that's where the transformation comes. But Isaiah 53, um, the Lord asks this question, Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? Give me a second and I'll give you one to turn to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord. You remember we just read a few moments ago in Isaiah 52, the previous chapter. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. The Lord pulled back his sleeves and showed his holy arm 
the salvation that's in Christ. But Isaiah asks in chapter 53, but who has believed it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it says, He, Christ, the arm of the Lord, was despised, and he was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was not esteemed by mankind. And this is uh, directly related to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And many of you are familiar with John chapter 1. You can turn there if you want to, but you may just remember that in, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, John is incredulous. He just almost can't believe it because he says of Christ, he was in the world. The world was made through him and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, those who were his own did not receive him. This is a, a, a tragedy almost hard to imagine. The creator of the world came to his own people and they didn't, they didn't receive him. And this is what the book of Romans is all about. He came to his own and they did not receive him. This is the, the tragedy. It's not enough to just hear the message. It's not enough to consider it and to ponder it and say, well, you know, I, I read the Bible once, and, you know, I went to church, I heard this before. It has to be received. The tragedy of those who didn't receive him is um, mirrored by, it's, it's balanced by the glory of those who did because John goes on in John chapter one, verse 12, and he said, you know, he came to his own, those who were his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power, hallelujah, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of the will of flesh or will of man, but were born of God. This is the power of the gospel, hearing the message and receiving it, hearing it and believing it. It transforms like nothing else can or will. And that's why Paul is just, his heart is breaking for the Jewish people and he's overcome with a desire to, to see them uh, be saved. And this leads to the, 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 the other reference in Isaiah that Paul makes in Romans 10. Romans 10, toward the end of the chapter. If you want to look back at Romans 10 with me, to Romans 10, uh, verse 20 and 21. <clears throat> The apostle talks, talks about Isaiah, the prophet. And he says, Isaiah is very bold. And he says, I was, I was found by those who did not seek me. This is the Lord speaking. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, the Lord says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I like the way uh, Paul characterizes Isaiah. He said he was very bold. You need to be very bold if you want to share the gospel. The apostles were very bold. Now, you know, we have an opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors this summer. Not just this summer, but every day of our lives. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a shy, retiring person. I'm, I'm a little introverted. And, you know, I feel a little awkward talking to people who don't know the Lord. And, you know, what will they think of me, you know? I'm not really a very bold person. But you know what? I can get over that. 
because it says Isaiah was very bold. And you know, the apostles, when they started out before the Holy Spirit, they weren't very bold either. In fact, they were pretty stammering and tongue-tied a lot of times, but the, but the Lord changed that as they made themselves available to him so that um, by Acts uh, chapter four, after the healing of the lame man that I mentioned, um, this, there's a beautiful verse, and you might want to note it or turn there, it's up to you, but it's, it's uh, Acts chapter four, verse 13. Because here's what happened after they gave their testimony to Christ, of Christ to the, to the Sanhedrin that was gathered to, and had them on trial. It says of, the, of, the, of those men, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Don't you love that? I could just see, you know, one member of the Sanhedrin whispering, leaning over and whispering to the other one, we're in deep trouble. These guys have been hanging out with Jesus. This is a threat. Hallelujah. I'd like people to recognize us as hanging, having hung out with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Isaiah and Paul had a really radical idea, and that is that the gospel's for everyone, not just for the Jews. So Isaiah 65. Turn with me, if you, if, if you will, to Isaiah 65. We didn't go there yet, did we? Isaiah chapter 65. This is a passage, Isaiah 65, that Paul cites at the end of Romans 10. So I'm happy to hear some pages of Bibles flipping. This is a, an important passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter 65. The Lord says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation which did not call on my name. Verse two, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk by a way which is not good, following their own thoughts. Do you hear the sadness in God's heart in the second verse here where he says, all day long I stretched out my hands to them. But they didn't hear me, they didn't respond because they chose and they preferred to follow their own thoughts. This passage in Isaiah 65 and others that would give reference to Christ really were a big shock to the nation of Israel. They really turned their whole they upset the apple cart, turned their whole understanding of the world upside down because as, as Carl brought out so well last week in his summary of the first three chapters of Romans, they thought they were the ones that had salvation and those Greeks, those Gentiles, they were outside. We're cool because we're, we're Jews. We're the ones to whom God's word has come. And this, what, what, what the Lord is doing here is saying, that's all wrong. And the tragedy here uh, in verse two of those who rejected the gospel is it says they walked after their own thoughts. This is what Paul says in Romans 10.3, which we read earlier, Romans 10.3. He says that not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. God provided a way of righteousness through the Messiah. They didn't subject themselves to that. They went about, about seeking to establish their own righteousness. What a great tragedy this is. 
The tragedy of those who reject Christ is balanced by the glory of verse 1. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 65 and read verse 1 again together. The Lord says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation which did not call on my name. This is a glorious, wonderful verse. Let me ask you another question. When you were a kid, did you have a favorite game that you played? When I was pretty young, my brother taught me how to play chess, my older brother, and uh, I really liked chess. But there was a game I learned before chess that actually was a lot more fun, even though chess is fun. There's a game that was a lot more fun than chess. When you were a little kid, did you ever play hide and seek? Did you enjoy that game? Most of you have never heard of hide and seek, but a few of you are admitting that you played hide and seek. You know, they, babies learn hide and seek. It, I think it's the first game that they learn before they learn language. They need learn hide and seek. And, and what, what's more fun than playing hide and seek and being it? And you know, you count to 10 and your, your friends all disperse in the schoolyard or wherever you are, and then you hunt them down one by one. And, and, and finally you realize, there's one person I didn't find, and, uh, and where's Bobby, you know? And then suddenly Bobby bursts out and says, here I am, here I am. The only thing that's, be, that's more fun than being it in hide and seek is being that last kid that, that the person who's it can't find, and then you jump out, maybe you're hiding in the kitchen closet or whatever, and say, here I am, here I am. Isaiah 65 verse one is really a beautiful, heavenly game of hide-and-seek. What's your image of the Lord, your Heavenly Father? Do you think of him as being sort of unattainable and, and stern and, and holy and righteous and far off? That's not all bad. It's good to think of the Lord and to revere him and to fear him and to appreciate his holiness and to be aware of, of your own sinfulness. There's another side to God besides his, his holiness, and that is his love. I think a God at heart is a little kid. I think he's very childlike at heart. Because what's going on here is he wants people to look for him. He wants people to find him. And what does it say in Isaiah 65, verse 1? It says, the Lord says, here I am. Here I am. The Lord delights in revealing himself to those who seek him, and, and to those who seek him will find him. That is the promise and the hope of God's word. What a joy, what a joy. And the Lord says it twice, you know, not just here I am, but like a little kid, here I am, here I am, to be found by those who seek me. Our God is a, is a God of joy, and he wants our lives to be filled with joy. Jesus said in John chapter 15, the things that I've spoken to you in the world, I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. That's John 15, 11. The Lord wants to fill our lives with joy. One of the reasons he wants to do that is so that we will stop and think, I know somebody else who doesn't yet have this joy. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be like Jude in Cameroon, 
and 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 spend some time and some effort and some energy and some love and some prayer uh, to share this good news with somebody else. I want to have beautiful feet. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for um, asking us early in the service today whether we really whether Jesus is really enough for us. Well, thank you for Paul's affirmation that you said to him, your grace is sufficient. And Lord, may Jesus also be enough for us. Lord, I also appreciate how uh, last week you took us out of this room and, and put us in a courtroom and showed us the gravity of the fact that humankind is on trial and lost in its sin facing a holy God. And thank you for the Apostle Paul's declaration that there is hope in the atonement of Jesus Christ and, and in that alone, because Lord Jesus, you are the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lord, I ask you to fill our lives with the joy of knowing you. I also ask you to fill our hearts like the Apostle Paul's heart was, Lord, um, with the burden and the desire to, to bring that good news to people around us.